Um, I think we'll pray this in so we can get the video started and then, um, and then I'll say a, a little bit more about uh, the trip that I'm coming up on as we then get into Luke. So let's have a word of prayer. Almighty God, we take just a moment from out of all the busyness of our lives and all the things to which we attend uh, to give you thanks, to give you praise and honor, for indeed you're the creator, you're the one who has given us these lives, and we are seeking to live them in ways that honor the intention and the design that you built into us, to honor the purpose for which we live to honor your love and your mercy and your truth. And as we honor that, we know then we find our highest good and our deepest joy and the greatest love that is beyond our imagination. We remember these things even as we talk about all the details of life because you are in them. We hope that you are, we trust that you are, and we ask that you would continue to guide us into lives where all the things of our lives are part of your life and part of your plan for the world. We know that it's your plan that we would know you, that we would know what you want us to know, that we would follow you because of that. And so as we open scriptures today, as we open our hearts and minds to your truth, help us remember that this is part of the way that you are helping us to grow, for you are like a loving parent who continually teaches and encourages and corrects and prepares your children to live full lives. We thank you for all of these blessings in the name of Jesus, your Son, the Christ, the Messiah, our Lord, our Master, and friend. Amen. Let me say just a word about uh, the coming trip uh, for me and for many others into Syria and Lebanon. Uh, many of you, of course, have uh, heard uh, reports in previous, year, in previous years uh, from my previous trips. Uh, and I, uh, again, thank you, Terry, for raising that. Uh, and thank you for your prayers uh, for all of us, for our safety, for our effectiveness. As always, I point to the fact that uh, even though we are going into a situation that to us seems a little bit dicey, and maybe something uh, that we would not necessarily volunteer to go into or want to live in. Uh, there are uh, tens of millions of people living there every day with all of that. Uh, also mentioned that the uh, church there takes very good care of us and we entrust all of this to the loving care of God. It is my hope, my intention, uh, so pray that, that I uh, keep to my plans uh, to communicate um, maybe as much as once a day uh, via my own Facebook page and the church Facebook page uh, about what is happening during the trip so that you can keep up with it in that way. Uh, not only so that you can have the vicarious experience of eating hummus three times a day, uh, but so that you can uh, have the experience of meeting the people and uh, seeing what is going on there uh, and participating in that way. When I return, um, I believe it's the 14th of November, uh, that we have currently on the schedule for me to do the, the traditional uh, slideshow and tell you know what I did on my fall vacation in Lebanon and Syria report. Uh, so we'll be letting you know about that and that will be recorded. You can uh, see that in many different ways. Um, the trip itself, of course, is all about the business, I'll remind you, of um, seeing what God is doing somewhere else and participating with God's people somewhere else in the lives that they live uh, as a way of giving them encouragement 
encouragement and love and support, uh, and then receiving that back from them. Uh, as always, I learn far more and am far more encouraged and, and in, uh, developed in my own growth, and that I hope in yours as well as I share about that. Uh, so um, people always ask me, why in the world are you going? Why don't you send somebody else? Why don't you send a telegram, you know, put some money in a Hallmark card and send it off? There is absolutely no substitute for going yourself. And so um, I could talk on that topic for a long, long time, but I'll use that topic as a way to uh, transition us into our conversation uh, about the passages we're looking at today from Luke, from uh, chapter 6 in Luke. We believe that God cared enough about us to come down here His very self. He has sent messengers, He's sent subtle messages, God has revealed Himself in all kinds of ways. But God finally said, this is one way to look at it, God finally said, I'm just going to have to go there myself. And there's no substitute for that. And so that's what Christians take as their clue for how we are meant to do God's work in the world and participate in God's life in the world is to engage things ourselves. And of course, we do that many different ways. Not everybody has the opportunity to do what I do, but you have opportunities to do things that I will never have. And so in all of those ways, we're simply doing what God did. We believe that's what Jesus was doing, and that's what Luke is telling us about as he tells us about Jesus' birth, and especially as we have been looking in the last few weeks at Jesus' ministry on earth. Now, as we are moving into this section of chapter 6, we'll remember uh, that Jesus has been teaching, Jesus has been preaching, Jesus has been speaking in synagogues, he's been seeking uh, anywhere that he can find people who will listen, and of course now many people are coming to him. He's telling people about the present reality of the kingdom of God, about God alive and well and loose on the planet earth, <laughs> and the opportunity that we have to be involved in that life and to be present to the God who is present to us. So in all of these things that we are reading, all of these things that we are studying, we must keep uppermost in our minds this conviction and this hope that God is speaking as well to us and that God is alive and well and present on the planet Earth right here, right now, and no matter where you go, no matter when in your life, God is there. And so we're seeking to find that truth and to find that relationship and that connection uh, so that we can experience the beauty of life in God and bring that beauty to other people. Don't ever forget that that's the reason that we study the Scripture. Not so that we know content, not so that we can impress our friends with how much we know about this uh, amazing book, uh, not so that we can say to God, hey, I memorized 472,000 Scripture passages, therefore you should love me. The only reason that we dive into the Scriptures is because we meet the living God there and that's meant to change our lives. So let's start reading Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. Jesus came down with them, the disciples that who'd been with, and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed all of them. 
Okay, let's say a few things about this. And remember, towards the end of this time together, you're gonna to have an opportunity to come down and ask some questions or make some comments. So Jesus goes to a level place to engage with his disciples. How many of you recognized, as you read through this in preparation, how many of you recognized a lot of the thoughts and a lot of the expressions of this section of Luke? Did it sound familiar to you? It should have, because this is Luke's version of what in Matthew's version of the telling of the story of Jesus we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is sort of a shortened version of that, if you will. We don't know for sure if Luke already knew what Matthew had written or maybe Matthew knew what Luke had written, but what we do know is that there is very much similar material in Matthew and Mark and Luke, and so they're taking their, their material from actual experience. We got three, three witnesses here to the truth of these stories. Now, in Luke's version, of course, uh, Jesus goes to a level place, not up on the side of a hill to speak down to the people, which was a convenient way to speak, in some sense as I am speaking to you, not, not down figuratively or, or relationally, but simply this is a good way to listen to someone or to see someone. But Luke says Jesus was in a level place. So this might have been a different time that Jesus was speaking or a different recollection of the same experience. But Luke emphasizes in some sense as he mentions that, that Jesus is on a level with the people. And we think that Luke is saying something deeper to us than just talking about physical spatial relationship, that he is saying to us that God came to our level to be right here with us, not from above, not from below, not from strange place, but right here equal to us in some sense. This is what we call the condescension of the Lord to speak to us. Luke notes that people come from as far away as Tyre and Sidon. Now, on this trip, there are no plans for us to go to Tyre and Sidon. They're in the southern part of modern-day Lebanon, but I've been there many times before. Tyre and Sidon are a long way away from where Jesus is. Not today. I mean, you could fly that distance in 30 minutes. You could drive the distance if there was not a border between Israel, Palestine, and Lebanon. You could drive the distance in uh, maybe at the most a couple of hours. But in Jesus' day, this is several days' walk. Luke means to tell us the people are coming from all over the place to listen to Jesus, to observe Jesus, to have some kind of an interaction with Jesus. And Jesus receives everyone. This is telling us that people should pay attention to God when God is speaking to us. All of us have come from out of our own lives, whatever the business, busyness of life is. We've come, in a sense, to open ourselves to the Scriptures and to try to meet Jesus today and to have a little more conversation with Him along the journey of our lives. That's what people always have done. That's what people should do. So. Luke notes that the diseased and the troubled are there, the down and out of society. These are folks who are looking for some word of hope, some word of encouragement, some word of power to keep them going. We'll also hear, of course, that the rich and powerful and famous and masters of the universe will come to hear Jesus, sometimes because they're legitimately curious, other times because they're legitimately afraid. But everyone comes to Jesus with who they are and what's going on in their own lives. And that's meant to tell us that we can come to Jesus with who we are from our life. Whatever's going on, the good, the bad, the indifferent, the dull, the boring, the exciting, the puzzling, the confusing, all of that we can bring to Jesus. And then Jesus comes to the people and he heals them and power goes out of him. 
That phrase has fascinated me for a long time because I have discovered that when someone comes to me wanting to know something about God or to have an experience of God, that it sucks the juice out of me. That's the way I say it. And the same thing was happening to Jesus. Now, I'm not telling you that I'm Jesus. I'm telling you that anytime anyone gives some love or encouragement or attention or compassion or correction or whatever it is, anytime anyone is giving something to someone else, there is a literal transfer of power or energy. You cannot measure it like you can measure electricity or temperature or any of those things, but it is a spiritual transaction. Maybe the best way to get in touch with that is to think about uh, what it was like raising children. Many of you have raised children. And you know what it is for your little kids to suck the energy out of you every day, don't you? That's kind of what we're talking about here. And so part of the life of discipleship to Jesus is receiving power, receiving energy, strength, that inner whatever it is that keeps us going, and then giving it out and it's a continual flow. And sometimes we receive that directly from God, sometimes we receive that from other people who are giving us the power that they have received from God. Do you understand that transaction? Let's not miss that because I think it's one of the clues to how we understand our lives as disciples of Jesus. Okay, Luke 6, 20 to 26. I'm gonna speak a little fast today because we got a lot of material to get through. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets." Okay, this is a puzzling section, or should at least initially be confusing to us, I think. We've heard this kind of language before. Again, referring to what is the more famous Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' pronunciation, his proclamation of eight blessings. We call them the Beatitudes. That's what a Beatitude is, is a blessing. Blessed are you when. Here Jesus gives us four blessings, four Beatitudes, and then four curses. Blessed are you when or cursed are you when. Now, the logical question that you and I should automatically ask and not be afraid to ask it. I know a lot of times when people read scripture or when they encounter something from the Bible, even though it makes no sense whatsoever to them, they say, well, it must make sense. I can't question it because it's God speaking. Okay, don't ever do that. Don't, don't ever let God off the hook if you have a real question if there's something you don't understand or something that doesn't make sense. Don't ever be afraid that God is going to fry you forever in hell because you've said, God, I don't agree with that, or that doesn't make sense, or I can't figure out what that's about, right? 
God would far rather have your honesty before him so that he then can deal with it. And God is smarter than you and me, and he can handle it. This is one section where people are always twisting and contorting and kind of grimacing and, uh, you know, let's go talk about something else. Because it doesn't make sense on the surface, right? Blessed are you when you are hungry, when you're weeping, when you're rejected, when you're poor. I don't know anybody in the world who wants to be poor, hungry, sad, and cast out. Do you? No, that's terrible stuff. That's not good stuff. Why in the world would Jesus say we're blessed when we're that way? And then if you go a little bit further, Jesus says, you are cursed if you're rich and full and laughing and accepted by everyone. He says, you're cursed if that's what you want. No, that's the stuff we want. I love being full. I love being loved. I love those things. So do you. Is Jesus totally off his rocker? That's the logical question we have to ask. And so we also then in faith need to say, well, okay, if Jesus said this, there must be something going on deeper than just the way I or we all might initially logically respond to this. And so let's talk about this at some length because there's a dynamic here that applies to everything else that Jesus says. Part of what Jesus was doing in his ministry was revealing to us the deep truths of life and existence and God and showing us that the way we look at things is often misconstrued and misguided, showing us that there's something much bigger going on. And so it is out of our blindness, out of our misunderstanding, out of our prideful uh, way of looking at life, thinking that we know better than anybody else, that is keeping us blind to deep spiritual truth. And when Jesus says something so utterly ridiculous as this, what he's actually teaching us is a deeper truth that we haven't seen before. Commentators have had lots of arguments over these passages, and I still encounter lots of biblical commentators who I think often actually get Jesus wrong in terms of what he is saying here. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is teaching us about the presence of God in our lives and what's that, what that feels like, how we experience it, how we express it to others. And the fact is, is that the world is turned upside down, not God. Not God. The world is turned upside down. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees and some others, as in our own day, they would say, you know, if life is going perfectly well for you, obviously God must love you. God is blessing you. If you are rich, and I say it fat, dumb, and happy, right? If that's, the, if that's your life, then God must love you. If your life is a mess, is a shambles, if you're poor, if you're hungry, if you've been rejected, if you've been cast out as a refugee, God must not love you. You must deserve that. And you cannot experience the blessing of God in your life in that way. That's how we think about that. But Jesus is saying, no. Even when you are poor, even when you are starving, even when life is not going your way, God still is with you. Some would even go so far as to say that God gives you more attention when life is going terribly than when life is going well. And they may be right about that. I hate to think about God giving more attention to, to one person more than another person, but we understand what they're saying. 
And in fact, that bears out an experience. My experience is that when people uh, are experiencing all kinds of success and blessing of life, we're enjoying all of that and we forget God. And we think that that is God, that that's the deepest blessing of life. But my experience is that when people have experienced the worst of life, that's when we finally open up to God. That's when we say, you know, there's something more important here than just my being, uh, having enough to eat today. And that is the presence of God in my life. And I find that people are much closer to God, generally so, when life is going terribly for them than when life is going well. Because when life is going well, you don't think you need God. You don't realize the blessings are from God. You think you have earned them and achieved them yourself. And so God can and will and does bless us with his presence, with his filling, with his love, with his power when we're not getting it from anywhere else. And by the way, what God has to offer you is better than anything else the world has to offer. And that takes us to the curses in some sense. You can be full inside in your belly. You can be happy on the outside. Everything in life can be going perfectly. But if you're not connected to God, all of that is a fleeting, passing, temporary, ultimately worthless and useless thing. Does that make sense to you? And so we seek after all the blessings of life and we enjoy them, of course, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we must understand that deeper and more lasting and more important than any of that is the reality of having God in our lives. And that's the deep truth that we need to know because eventually you're gonna hit a wall. Eventually the world's most successful, most popular, most beautiful person, it's not me by the way, I know some of you might think so, but, that person is going to run into some version of misery and horror and rejection and suffering and pain, even if it's only as they approach their death and realize there's something more important. I'd love to talk a whole lot more about that dynamic, but let's understand that Jesus is not saying that being hungry in and of itself is a great thing, no. And he's not saying that being Full in and of itself is a terrible thing. No. He's saying that there's something deeper and more important that neither being hungry nor being full actually touches. And that's the reality of our living in the presence of God, who whether we are blessed or cursed, whether we are hungry or full, as Paul would later on say, I've learned to be content in all things regardless of what the outward circumstances of my life are. The inner circumstances of my life is that I am held rock solid in the hand of the creator of all the universe and I'm safe there forever and ever and ever, amen. Let's keep reading. Chapter six, verses 27 to 36. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. 
but love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Okay, here again, there's, there's, this is such, such a rich diet, we really should only take off a tiny little bite and savor it for a long time before we go on to the next thing, but we don't have time to do that. This section is important, and we should understand it as such, because of the huge theological word, you've heard me refer to these big theological words before, words like but or and, right? Jesus often says, you know, this is what the world thinks. This is what teachers teach. This is what you think, but there's a different way that's oftentimes the exact opposite way. Again, Jesus was correcting our upside-downness and helping us to fly straight again. And in all this, he is saying, you know, the way life is lived, if somebody's trying to steal from you and trying to take from you, you resist as much as you possibly can. But I say to you, give freely, love freely. Love those even who do not love you. What's the big deal if you love someone who loves you? That's not love, that's just a reciprocal relationship. That's a contract, I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. Okay, that's an okay thing to do. Jesus is not saying that that's, not a, that that's a bad thing in and of itself, but anybody would do that because it's all ultimately self-centered. And Jesus is taking us away from our self-centeredness to a God-centeredness and saying that if you are his disciple, you are going to live from out of your God-centeredness, not your self-centeredness. And so if we're going to live from our God-centeredness, we're going to live as God lives. And as Jesus demonstrates, who is God living among us? And giving away when there's nothing that's going to come back. That's what love actually is. Now, I will be the first person to admit to you that it's much easier, much more fun to love someone who is loving you. It's so much harder to love when you're not getting it back. Now, we all need love, of course. I'm not suggesting that you go out and find somebody whose sole purpose in life is to destroy you and to allow yourself to be destroyed. What I'm saying is that real love and successful relationships are those where we're always seeking to give more than we get. Now, in truly human successful relationships, it is a, it is a back and forth relationship. It is a giving and getting. That's how love works in human relationships, but it only works completely, it only works perfectly when we sometimes can give more than we've gotten back. Because sometimes those who are in relationship with us uh, need to give us more than we can give. That's the only way it ultimately balances out is if both are giving. In marital counseling sorts of terms, we say a marriage succeeds only when each person in the marriage is giving not 100%, but 110%. 
Now, if you do the math, each one is giving 110%, then you have 220%, not 200%, and you really, there's no more, there's no such thing mathematically as more than 100%, is there? There's not. There's either 100, 100% is maximum. Jesus is saying those who live from a God-centeredness give more than the maximum, and when we're all seeking to give more than the maximum, that's when things work. That's when things balance out. And so we look at our enemies. We look at those who would destroy us. We look at those who are opposed to us. And we find ways actively to love them. Again, we could go on and on and on with this, but remember that Jesus did that. And Jesus is asking us to follow him. Only he, of course, is the Messiah. Only his self-sacrifice can ultimately redeem someone. And there are times in all of our lives when we have to step back and say, in order to love the other person who is seeking to destroy me, I must not allow that person to destroy me. But in the process, I do not destroy them. So if, there is, if you are in a relationship, if you're in a situation that is destroying you, we need to have a long conversation about what the actual loving thing is to do with that person. Jesus could allow the whole world to completely and utterly destroy him because he could come back from it. And it's only in his power that we can come back from things that would seek to destroy us. So let's keep on going. Oh, one more thing, the golden rule. Did you see, did you hear the golden rule when I read it? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, the reverse of the golden rule, do unto others before they undo you, okay? <laughs> Lots of ways the golden rule is looked at. People have pointed out the fact that uh, uh, philosophers uh, and, and thinkers and theologians from places other than the Christian tradition, uh, people like Homer and Seneca and Philo and Enoch, uh, lots of places you hear the golden rule and they say, well, Christianity is not unique. Jesus was no big deal because other people said some of the same things that Jesus said. And it's true, other people did say some of the things that Jesus said, even before Jesus said them. But what Christians believe is that Jesus perfectly taught them, expressed them, and lived them, and that all the others who knew them and who talked about them then and who talk about them today are merely speaking about the truth and reality of God, the God whom we worship, the God from whom Jesus came, the God who Jesus was. And, and Jesus wasn't the only one who expressed truth. Jesus, when you look at his life, quoted from a whole bunch of other people, like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Moses and Abraham, right? And so we shouldn't be afraid when someone, even a non-Christian, is saying something that is actually true. We should rejoice. Oh, you got that piece of it. That's great. Let's talk about where else we might agree. You see what I'm saying with that? So, the golden rule itself is a good thing. We don't need to explain any more about that. Luke 6, verses 37 to 42. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. He also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. 
Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, friend, let me take out the speck in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. All of these pithy little sayings that we could think about for a long time, they're all speaking about human problems, human soul sickness, when we judge and condemn other people, when we stand in pride over other people, when we do not exercise the true humility that we are meant to have. Jesus again is talking about spiritual dynamics, spiritual truths, that we are not in a position to condemn anyone to hell. That doesn't mean that we don't discern what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. Oftentimes people will say, you shouldn't judge me, you shouldn't tell me what to do, you shouldn't tell me what's right. Of course we should tell each other what's right. Of course we should decide what is the difference between good and evil, what is the right path and the wrong path. That's what Jesus himself was doing. But we should never condemn someone to eternal punishment and condemn them to the life of no relationship with God just because they're making a mistake, just because they disagree. Do you see the difference between discerning and judging? Often in the world today, people will say, you can't tell me what's right or wrong, you can't be the judge. And what they're saying is that they think right and wrong is different than we think. And there is such a thing as right, there is such a thing as wrong. Sometimes we have to have conversation about that because we might be wrong about what right and wrong is. But at some point we have to stand our ground on what Jesus has said and what God has demonstrated that there are right things and wrong things in the world. Where we must never go though is to condemn others when they are wrong. Instead we should love them. Instead, we should, in humility, continue to reach out to them. Does that make sense to you? If you're confused about that, ask me about this uh, afterwards, after we go off the air and whatnot, uh, because I think it's hugely important, because the world is convincing itself now that there's no such thing as right and wrong, no such thing as good and evil. With that word, don't judge, nobody can judge, that's horse hockey. Yes. We, we judge in the sense of discerning what right and wrong is and then trying to live by the right uh, and, and live against the wrong. All of us are learners. All of us are sinners. All of us are blind to that which is wrong in ourselves, and we need to be humble about that. Christians are just as blind in many ways as Muslims, as Jews, as Democrats, as Republicans, as whatever. But in Jesus we find the truth. That's the hope we hold out. Let's go to Luke 6, verses 43 to 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks." Here Jesus is talking about integrity. Whatever you actually do in life reveals what you actually believe about life, what is actually inside of you. 
And so the key for us is to change what is inside of us to be more like God and less like our own sinful, prideful human selves. And as we open ourselves to the redeeming power of God, God begins to change who we are and therefore change how we act in the world. If you find yourself living badly, doing sinful things, being filled with pride and anger and all the other stuff that goes on with life, then you have to question what's going on in your heart and ask God to change what's inside of you. When you see someone else who is living a, a beautiful life in the sense of loving and giving and all the rest, you're looking at two possibilities. One is the possibility that that person truly is a loving, forgiving, and giving person, or that person might be an actor. Sometimes people do the right thing for the wrong reasons. They act a certain way, but deep inside they are not that way, and eventually who they are will come out. Jesus says that we are all actors. Now, he uses a different term for it. He uses the term hypocrite. All of you, including me, are actors sometimes. We are hypocrites. That's what the word hypocrite meant in the ancient Greek. A hypocrite was literally an actor, and that's what actors do. They pretend to be somebody else for a while. We know that's what they, they're doing. We hope they know that's what they're doing. The great actor William Shatner just went up into space a couple of hours ago, right? You know, I, the man full well understood that he is not Captain Kirk, thank heavens. I think he does. Love the guy. Love all that experience, right? So when we catch ourselves doing the right thing for the wrong reason, then we know something is wrong in our heart. When we catch ourselves doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons, we know something is wrong in our heart. When we find ourselves doing the right things for the right reasons, then we see that God is redeeming and renewing and changing us. And as we listen to Jesus and follow Jesus and open ourselves to the power of Jesus and the correcting and encouragement that we receive from the community of people in following Jesus, that's the church, that's who we are, that's why you're going to go talk with each other in small groups afterwards, our hearts begin to change and we begin to change and we begin to act differently. Chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, the river burst against that house but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. This is a simple lesson, folks. Listen, learn, change, do as I have taught you. And you will be building something that will last forever because you're building on the truth. All the things that Jesus has just said to these folks is the truth. Hard to apply sometimes, yes. Difficult to understand sometimes, yes. Does it require our full attention to every circumstance of life as we continue to live life so that we can always put those things in front of God and say, God, what's this truly about? Take me out of it and put you into it and what am I gonna do with it? 
Yes, all that's true. But what's at stake here is living a life that eventually is washed away because the life is not built on the true foundation of God or living a life that will stand forever because it is lived from the power of God. I could go another six hours, but I'm going to stop right here. (laughs) Do you have thoughts? Do you have questions? Do you have feedback? If there's something going on inside of you, start coming down to the microphone. Pastor, thank you so much for, for this morning because I was praying, but God always tell me, and today God responded my asking. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I am sure that everybody together thanks to God for you. Thank you, Pastor. Yes, it, it is my privilege. Yes, it is, it is the thing that God calls me to do sometimes. He, you've got equally important work somewhere to do in some way, shape, or form that I can't do. So praise God for that. Praise God for that. Let's pray ourselves out of here. God, thank you for choosing to spend some time with us and choosing to reveal yourself to us and choosing to continue to love us even when we are incredibly unlovable. Thank you for leading us into living that kind of life for others so that they can know your love. Where we're confused, bring clarity to us. Where we are unsure, bring certainty to us. Where we are wrong, teach us what is right. Where we are right, encourage us to do the right for the sake of your Son, who did all of those things to your glory. Amen. God bless you all. I'll see you in about three or four weeks.